It is a joy to be back with the family this morning, is it not? I love that uh, each week we get to gather and we get to, together as the body of Christ, have a taste of eternity. I couldn't help as, as we were singing that song, we fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus, and we cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. Folks, that is eternity for the people of God. That one day we will get to do forever what we practice in part here each week. And it, it just brings so much joy to my heart as I was standing here and, and just turning around and looking and seeing hands raised and, and seeing the people of God together in one spirit and in one voice, declaring to a watching world who our God is. And so now as we take a moment to turn to God's word this morning, I pray that you would uh, just join me in that same spirit, that we would uh, just beseech the spirit of God to speak to our hearts, open our minds, that we might be shaped and molded more into the image of the Lord Jesus. So uh, let's go to God in prayer one more time this morning. Father God, Lord, we love you. And God, we love you because of the fact that you loved us. Your love for us, your great love for us has stirred an affection in our hearts and has given us life. And so God, we do cast all of our crowns at the feet of Jesus. And so Lord, this morning as we come to your word, we pray that you would open our eyes to see the movement of your spirit. We pray that you would give us receptive hearts and minds that would be molded and shaped more into the image of Jesus. And so God, by these next moments that we spend together, I pray that the power of your word would draw us in to love you more. For your glory, for our joy. We ask in the most precious name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. Last week, we talked a little bit about the Exodus and how the Exodus was a foreshadowing of a greater redemption that was to come ultimately through Christ. Well, today we're going to take a few steps back from the Exodus and we're going to talk about another huge event in the Old Testament and how now we can see it in its full picture for us as God's people now. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. There may be, I know I said this last week, but again, there may be no greater thing in the history of God's people than the way that God redeemed them out of slavery in Egypt. And so to set some background for Exodus 12, basically, um, right, we know Moses goes out into the wilderness and God speaks to him there in a burning bush and tells him, hey, you're going to go as my spokesperson and you're going to tell Pharaoh to release my people and I'm going to redeem my firstborn son, the people of Israel from Egypt. And uh, he's like, Pharaoh's not going to like that. And God's like, I know, also I'm God. And so he tells Moses to go in, he tells him what to say, and he goes in and God is with him. And so Moses goes into Pharaoh and he says, Pharaoh, you need to let the people of the Lord go. And Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him? No. And God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And Pharaoh's heart remains hard. And so God starts to do things. He says, I will show exactly who I am. 
And so we know the, the ten plagues, right? Of the Nile River turning to blood and darkness over the whole land and locusts and crops. But here's the thing. We think about these and we see them as these great, crazy kind of events, right? He turned an entire river to blood. But there's something way more significant going on there than just uh, kind of supernatural acts. Because what God did in those ten plagues is that he strategically and particularly targeted each one of the gods of Egypt. You see, when Pharaoh went out that morning to go bathe in the Nile, he was going to worship the god of the Nile. And it was one of the main gods in the pantheon of Egypt because it was what brought them life. It was literally the source that fed their crops and was able to feed their families and gave them water and allowed them to wash their clothes and bathe themselves. And it was such an intricate part of their life that they worshiped the Nile as if it were a god. And so God says, I'm going to take that thing that I made, that you worship, I'm going to turn the whole thing to blood. Now, I don't know about you, but if you have ever tried to grow a garden, and instead of using water, you used blood to irrigate all of your plants, they're not going to live. See, God had taken what the Egyptians viewed as their source of life, and it turned it in to a source of death. We talked about this with the way that mankind responded in the garden to where the serpent tempts Eve and then she in turn brings Adam along with her and both of them together make the decision that the way to truly live is to be like God and to eat from the tree. But the thing that they saw as worthy of giving them life only brought death. And so goes the story through each one of the ten plagues. That each time God does something, it is taking a particular stance against one of the gods of Egypt. He causes darkness to cover the land and he goes against Ra, the god of the sun. But in the Egyptian pantheon, there was one god that stood above the rest, and it was Pharaoh himself. And so God says, Pharaoh, you've hardened your heart, and you will not let my firstborn son go, so I'm going to take yours. For royalty, the firstborn son was the life of the lineage, right? As Pharaoh would die, his son would take his place, and his son after him, and his son after him. And so the line of Pharaoh would continue, and the house of Pharaoh would continue, and his reputation and everything that he had built upon that would continue to grow and flourish. And so he saw that for his dynasty as its source of life, and God said, I'm going to turn that into a source of death. I'm going to take from you your firstborn son, because you have taken mine. And so we come to Exodus chapter 12 in the first Passover. Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household, 
And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lamb at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and where I see the blood, I will pass over you, And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. There is no sacrifice yet. There is no sacrificial system in place. This is all very new to the people of Israel. And so they get this kind of weird instruction from God where he says, I'm going to finally lay judgment over the land of Egypt, and I myself am going to sweep through the land of Egypt, and I will take the life of every firstborn, man or beast, unless you do this. On the tenth day of the month, you take a lamb and you set it apart. Four days later, you bring it into your home and you sacrifice it. And you cook it and you eat it and it nourishes you. And then you take its blood and you apply it to the doorpost. And when I pass by, every firstborn man or beast will surely die unless I see the blood applied to the doorpost. I don't know about you, but hearing this would make me really uneasy. It seems kind of out there, right? I mean, sure, God's just done a bunch of crazy stuff. He just caused darkness and caused the sun to go away. He just turned the Nile River into blood. I heard something about he made a, a stick turn into a snake and locusts and famine. and he, He's done a lot of crazy stuff, but this just seems weird. And so I want us to note a couple of things this morning in Exodus 12. The first is I want us to note the sufficiency of the lamb. The sufficiency of the lamb. You see, this is an unfolding and an ever-expanding theme throughout Scripture. 
We go all the way back to the beginning when Cain and Abel bring their first offerings to God and God looks upon their offerings and we know Cain brings fruit of his harvest and Abel, who was a shepherd, brings the choice lamb out of his flock and God looks on the lamb and he says, this is a proper offering. And then we see it even in more detail as God commands Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac and he takes him up to the mountaintop And they take the sacrifice, and at the last moment, God stays the hand of Abraham, and they look, and a lamb is caught in a thicket. And the life of the lamb is exchanged for the life of the son. One lamb for one person. The death of that lamb was sufficient to cover in exchange for the death of Isaac. And now here, in Exodus chapter 12, we see it unfold even further. And God says, you're going to take a lamb and you're going to sacrifice it. And it's going to cover not just one person, but it's going to cover and bring safety for an entire household. And then, in an even more astonishing way, in Leviticus chapter 16, we're introduced to this thing called the Day of Atonement in Israel, where one choice lamb is brought and is slaughtered and it covers the sins of of an entire nation for a year. But then, we see the scope of this come into its full picture in John chapter 1, when a mangy-looking prophet in the wilderness is standing in a river baptizing, and he sees Jesus walking towards him, and he stops dead track and points him out and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of of the world. One lamb for all humanity. And then in the most, maybe one of the most glorious pictures, at the end and the culmination of all things in the book of Revelation, we see the scene play out where heaven kind of seems to falter for a moment, and they say, wait, but who is worthy? And then John writes, he says, and then I saw a lamb as though he was slain. And all of a heaven erupts in worship and says, worthy is the lamb who was slain to take the seal and open its scroll. Amen. One lamb for all humanity for all of eternity. You see, the sufficiency of the Lamb is the only thing that brought safety to the people of Israel during Passover. It wasn't, well, if you've never worshipped the Egyptian gods, or if you've never thought about turning away from the, gods of Abra- from the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob while you've been in captivity, or if you've never done this, or if you've never done that, or if you've been a good husband or a good father, then I'll have grace on you. No, it was only the blood of the Lamb. It was only the sufficiency of the blood that was applied to the door that God would look through and look at and pass them over in judgment. The sufficiency of the Lamb was their only hope. 
but I don't only want us to see the sufficiency of the lamb this morning, but I want us to see the grace of the lamb. The grace of the lamb. Because in giving these instructions, right, a few, in the next in the next few sections, after we see this happen, we see Pharaoh finally release the people of Israel. And here's what it says. It says, a great mixed multitude got up and left the land of Egypt. What does that mean? It means that it wasn't just the Hebrews. It wasn't just the people of Israel. But there were Egyptians who got up and went with them. And the grace of the lamb in this is that the blood of the lamb was, was non-discriminate. God doesn't say, I will look for every Hebrew house that has blood on the doorpost and I will pass it over. But he says, I will look for the blood on the doorpost and when I see it, I will pass it over. God is saying, if Hebrew, Egyptian, I don't care. If you trust in the blood... If you are faithful to put your hope in the blood, I will pass you by and judgment will not fall on your house. Amen. The grace of the Lamb. And then finally, I want us to see the specificity of the Lamb. It is a lamb without blemish. It is a lamb that is perfect. It is the best of the best, completely pure. Only that will do. And that is why after generations of people trying to be faithful to the law, when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says, behold the lamb. Because only the perfect sacrifice can take the place and be sufficient. Now there's a lot of cool things in here that I want to point us to because what we do is we read this and we think, well, that's cool, but it happened a long time ago. It was a one-off event, but we know that it wasn't, and it was part of the history of the people of God. And so even in, in Deuteronomy 16, as God is giving them the law right before they go into the promised land through Moses, he says this in Deuteronomy 16, he says, Observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of the land by night, and you shall offer the Passover sacrifice to the Lord your God from the flock of the herd at the place that the Lord will choose to make his name dwell. You shall eat no leavened bread for seven days. You shall eat it with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that all the days of your life you may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. And so it became commonplace in Israel that as they would gather for the Passover feast, the person leading that would, would take the bread and he would break it and he would say, this is the bread of the affliction of our fathers in the land of Egypt. Because it was to be a memorial and a remembrance of everything 
that the people of God had suffered and the way that God had delivered them. And so, for generations, every year would start with remembering what God had done in Egypt. Every year would start with someone taking the bread and breaking it and proclaiming that this is the bread of the affliction of our fathers. Every year for for the people of God would start with a sacrifice of a lamb for their provision. And they were to do this year after year so that they would never forget. I can only imagine the first few Passovers that took place. Maybe even for the first couple of generations of Passovers that took place. Year after year, small Israelite children running in and sitting down and saying, Grandpa, tell us the story of that night. Tell us what it was like to see the pillar again. What happened at the sea that day? And I can only imagine as the elders of Egypt would, or the elders of Israel would tell of those things that their hearts would be gripped by what they had seen. I don't know, many of you have served our country in the military. Many of you have family that have. Lots of friends and family who have done that, and there are a lot of them who don't want to talk about things that they've seen because it is so hard for them to process that. But I want you to put yourself in the place of those Hebrews on that night. You've just been told that the very presence of God himself, the one who you've seen do all this crazy stuff, is going to pass through and is going to kill every firstborn unless the blood is applied can't imagine there was a lot of sleep going on in the land of Egypt that night. So I imagine many parents and many Hebrews sitting there in their small homes, dimly lit by the light of a single candle, just waiting, watching their children sleep and just praying that the blood would be enough. And then as the hours go on and the night continues and darkens, faintly in the distance, they start to hear something. It gets closer and closer and louder and more piercing. And What they're hearing is they are hearing the wailing, broken-hearted cries of the Egyptians who are now sitting amongst the corpses of their husbands and of their sons. And in that moment, I have to believe that the only thing that any of those Hebrews sitting in the safety of their homes, hearing this cries and the wails going on around them, could think was thank God for the blood of the lamb that was applied for us. That night, there was probably a lot of questions 
This lamb had been in the house for four days. The family had grown accustomed to it. I love the way that one of my favorite Bible teachers, Nancy Guthrie, puts it when she says it this way. She says, I can only imagine a small Hebrew boy coming to his father and saying, but dad, this lamb has done nothing wrong. Why do we have to kill it tonight? Dad, we love it. It's kind of become like a pet to us. Why do we have to kill it? And the father, trusting in the word of the Lord, looking down at his son and saying, because son, Either the lamb dies or you die. Church, that is the reality for all of humanity. That because of our sin, that is what we are faced with. Either the lamb dies or we die. But praise be to God that the lamb has died. That John the Baptist wasn't wrong when he said, Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. And Jesus comes and he lives a perfect life so that he is the perfect spotless lamb to be slain on our behalf. That his sacrifice would be specific and would be sufficient. And oh, the grace of the lamb in the Lord Jesus who comes and doesn't just say I'm dying for this group of people that have been my people, but I am dying for anyone who would take the blood and have it applied. The grace of the Lamb. And so church, as we sit and we hear the screams of a perishing world around us, It should drive us, just as the Hebrews on that night, not to say, thank you, God, for my morality, or thank you, God, for my race, or thank you, God, for my socioeconomic status, or anything else. But as we see a world around us, lost and hopeless in their sin, being pursued by death itself, and crying out in anguish as they have no hope, our prayer and our cry from the depths of our soul should be, thank you, God, for the blood of the perfect Lamb, that was applied to me that I might have refuge from the judgment. But the story of Passover doesn't end in Deuteronomy 16 or in the way that it was celebrated by the people of Israel throughout the rest of the Old Testament. Because in Luke chapter 22... Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem. The perfect lamb. Now, Jesus comes in four days before Passover. The lamb that was to be sacrificed for the protection of the household was to be set apart and chosen four days before Passover. And Jesus comes in and it comes time for the Passover feast and he instructs his disciples to go and get the place ready and he goes and he says something really interesting. He says, I have longed to eat this meal with you before I suffer, knowing what he is about to do. And then he does something that would have been very familiar to them and he picks up the bread And in Luke 22, it says, having given thanks, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is the bread of the affliction of our fathers in the land. No, he didn't say that. 
He took the bread and he gives all of Passover new meaning by saying, this is my body broken for you. In the, life, in the same way, he takes the cup and having given thanks for it, he says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Then what he tells his disciples to do is to eat and find life in him. That night, Jesus would be betrayed and arrested and then crucified. As the Passover feast develops in Israel, it becomes a tradition that the Passover lamb is brought and is placed. The lamb that will be sacrificed for the people, for the atonement of the people, will be placed in the temple courts at 9 a.m. And at 3 p.m. it'll be taken and it'll be slaughtered. Jesus is hung on a cross to be displayed and breathes his last, roughly following that same schedule. And I truly believe, I truly, truly believe that this was in the mind when the centurion in Mark 15 says, when he saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, surely this man is the Son of God. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. When I was younger, um, my family took a lot of trips to uh, Disneyland. Love Disneyland, still do. But the thing was, I always got super excited because we would go once a year, maybe sometimes twice a year. Then I went to college, still love Disneyland, went to college 20 minutes away from Disneyland uh, and would go probably four or five times a week. I know, I have a problem. Um, but uh, here's what happened. What happened was that because I went so often, man, when I was a kid, it was magical, right? Obviously not really, but it was so special. But when I would go so often, and I would do it all the time, I wasn't moved by it anymore. Uh, but then comes maybe one of the most embarrassing points of my life, uh, where I move to Kentucky for seminary, and Carson and I get married, and after about three and a half years of not going, uh, we took a trip and we went back. And uh, we're walking up to the front, and I hear the music, and I see everything, and uh, she looks over and just starts laughing at me because I'm a full-grown man standing there in tears uh, because I'm so excited to be back there. And as I think, as I think about that, maybe the thing in, in, in my life with the Lord that comes most into picture is this table right here. Because each month we come together and we come to the Lord's table and we, we take in the meal of Christ's body and Christ's blood shed for us. 
We eat our little wafer and we drink our little juice. And then we move on. But church, what what I want us to see is that just like the people of Israel who on that night had the blood applied to them and found their safety in it and it alone, the same is true for us. And that table and that bread and that wine or juice or whatever the element is should be a stark reminder to us and should move us in the very depths of our souls to remember that without it, we have no hope at all. Our entire hope is contained in what is represented by that bread and that cup. And from the depths of our souls, it should remind us. And it should move us to scream from the top of our lungs, thank you, Lord, for the blood that was applied to me. Not by a sacrificial lamb on an altar, but by the perfect lamb of God on a cross to take away my sin for all eternity. You see, as the the Passover lamb would be sacrificed and as the atoning lamb on the day of atonement would be sacrificed, it would cover the sins of the people. And God would look and he would say that the sins of the people are covered in the sacrifice of the lamb. But in Christ, our sins are not simply covered, but they are cast away and separated. The Bible tells us as far as the east is from the west, so Christ has cast our sins away from us. And what he does, instead of just covering our sins, is he eradicates them through the power of his blood and his sacrifice, and then he lays on us his righteousness so that one day when we stand before the Father in judgment, God will look and he will see everything that we have done except for one thing. Christ will be standing next to us as our advocate. And he will say, don't look at their life. Don't look at the mess of what they've done, but look at my blood that was shed for them. That is what it means for Christ's body to be broken for us. That is what it means for us to have a new covenant with God in the blood of Jesus. So church, as we come to the table, I pray that we will never casually approach, but that with the utmost humility and the greatest weight of feeling what God has done to make a way for us and to provide for us where there was no other hope, that we would run to the table and we would take the elements and we would cry out from the depths of our soul, thank you God for the blood that is my only hope. Because like Ashley reminded us this morning, life is hard. Things happen. We live in a broken world full of things that draw us away from the goodness of God. But church, it is in communion. It is in coming to the Lord's table as the redeemed people of God that we get to find our nourishment and be reminded of the life that we have. So if you are struggling this morning, if you feel distant from God this morning, if you are stuck in a situation with relationship or health or any other thing battling a particular sin, then I would encourage you, if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ today and you know that his blood has been applied to your life, you run to this table and you take these elements and you eat boldly with all humility, knowing that it is there alone that your hope is found. 
because it is there that we're reminded the blood of the Lamb shed for us. Amen. And so before we come to the table this morning, I want us to understand fully what we are doing. You see, when we come together in communion, there, there's, it has three aspects. There's the remembrance of the past of what has been done on our behalf through the Lord Jesus. There is the present where we literally find our nourishment and refresh and reinvigorate our souls in the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf to carry us through the hardships of life. But there's also a future element that reminds us that one day we will sit around the table of the king at the feast in heaven and it won't just be a little piece of styrofoam and grape juice. But in the full glory of eternity, we will behold our God and our King and we will sing to Him forever. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. For by your blood you have ransomed from every tribe and tongue and nation a people for our God. And so in a moment, Pastor Paul and some of the elders are going to come and lead us in communion. And as we do that, think. Take a moment to feel the weight of what we're doing together as a body. Remembering what Christ has done, looking to that for strength in life now with a great hope for what is to come. All achieved by the gracious, sufficient blood of the Lamb that was shed for us.